Around the world, across all different cultures, kids start using the potty for pee and poop at really different ages, and they're potty trained with different methods. Some cultures train from the first few months of age, like in some African cultures that don't have access to things like disposable diapers. Parents watch their babies for signals that they're about to pee or poop, and they squat with them. These babies are trained, well, or I should say the parents are trained, by the time the baby is four or five months old. In Indonesia, the average age is nine months old. And in China, many kids wear split crotch pants so they can squat anytime and they don't have to remove their pants. These kids train closer to like two years of age. Potty training is very much related to culture and obviously to available resources. So even though everyone poops, not everyone learns to use the toilet the same way. There is a movement in the U.S. that picks up on methods from other cultures that we call elimination communication, which is a style of potty training where parents pick up on cues to get children to the potty. This method takes a lot of effort from the parents. It works, but it's definitely the parent training the child. And there's something very special about learning to use the potty that I want to share with you today. It's a parent's first opportunity to build a skill with a child and work together. Potty training sets the stage for all of your future interactions. There were decades of time that people blamed personal characteristics on harsh potty training. Going back to Sigmund Freud, he explained that improper potty training could traumatize a child and even cause obsessive compulsive disorders. And later psychologists and anthropologists blamed the brutality of World War II soldiers' behavior on early and harsh toilet training. Thankfully, along came Dr. Benjamin Spock in the late 1940s, and he encouraged parents to leave toilet training up to the child. And so was born our modern day America's child-led approach. In Dr. Spock's lifetime, most children were potty trained around 18 months, but today only about 10% of kids are trained by that age. Why? One other data point you should consider is that it's probably highly related in that in 1950, 100% of kids were in cloth diapers, and today only about 10% are in cloth diapers. This is relevant. Kids can feel their pee and poop, and most don't like it when they're in a cloth diaper. And I tell you what, as a mother, if I didn't have diapers, I would have been very motivated to toilet train my kids at a younger age. Here's the problem parents are facing today. If we're waiting for kids to lead the way, are they ever going to use the potty? Imagine you are your three-year-old son. You have a really nice absorbable diaper on and it doesn't irritate your tushy. You can pee or poop anytime you want and you don't have to stop playing to go to the toilet. And your parents clean up your pee and poop for you. Why would you ever use the potty? It's true, kids are physically ready to be potty trained at 18 months. They have sphincter control, they can walk to the potty, they can pull their pants down, and they probably have the words to be able to communicate about using the potty. But most kids at this age, they're not really cognitively ready until they're a little bit older. How do you know when your child is ready? And how should you potty train in our modern times? Pediatrician Arthur Lavin and developmental specialist Susan Glazer are going to answer these questions. Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. 
I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. Potty training is such a complex topic that Dr. Arthur Lavin and Susan Glazer cover the topic in three episodes of their parenting podcast. And I'm sure if you listen to it, they probably still had more to say. They have a method for approaching the potty that I really like. And it starts with the concept that this isn't potty training. It's potty mastery. And understanding the difference between these terms is important. That's what I'm going to explore with these two hosts of the Parent Talk podcast. We as pediatricians, we all call this potty training. And to me, that's like a nickname. It's just a shortcut for what's really happening. Why do you refer to this process as toilet mastery? I like to think of it as mastery because when we think about um, potty training, as everyone calls it, I know that people now have elimination communication and they start when the babies are newborn, but we're not talking about that. That's an entirely different topic, an entirely different way to approach this process. What we're talking about is when your child is getting into that real true toddler stage, 18 months to two to two and a half years of age, when people start realizing, hmm, this little baby of mine is not just a baby. This is a real person in his or her own right. They're beginning to individuate. They're beginning to separate separate from the parent. They're beginning to understand that their actions have reactions and that their understanding cause and effect. In fact, Arthur and I, we don't know if we coined this phrase. We like to think we did. That around 15 to 18 months, there's something that we call the big bang of consciousness. And it's when children suddenly realize, hmm, you know, there are many alternatives in the world. Um, I I don't always have to have chicken nuggets. I can have um, pizza. You know, um, my mommy went away. Way, but I know my mommy exists out there in the real world and she could be here with me instead of going to work or wherever she's going. So this is a really interesting time in a child's brain development when they begin to see that the world has just opened up. It's exploded for them. That's why we call it the big bang of, of consciousness. So at this time, we realize that children are becoming much more aware of their bodies, of what's you know going in their bodies because they're feeding themselves, they're eating, and what's coming out of their bodies in pee and poop. One thing that's very different about toilet mastery than any other developmental step is that it's so culture-driven. Whereas it doesn't matter what country you're in, you're going to walk around the same time. But uh, in Indonesia, the average age of toilet training is nine months old. In the United States, it's over three years old. And so the reason we call it toilet mastery in the United States, I think it is toilet training in Indonesia because a nine-month-old doesn't know what a toilet is. And the parent has to do something in order for them to use a toilet. In the United States, if we're talking about the average age being three and most people are training somewhere between two and three, let's say, or a lot of people start between two and three more and more after age three, anyone who's over two years old know, in the United States knows what a toilet is. And, and, this, and the Indonesian experience teaches us that from a muscle motor developmental point of view, that muscles can do management of the sphincters before you turn one year old. So from a physical point of view, you are developmentally ready to actually be continent, to be toilet trained. But no one in the United States expect, in fact, I don't know, I wouldn't know how to advise someone to train their nine-month-old to toilet train. So what we're talking about is a two-year-old, a three-year-old who knows very well what's going on has been ready for some time. And so it's not a developmental stage. They've met their developmental abilities. Now it's question of whether the child is being asked 
to use their skills and whether the child is given the opportunity to use their skills. That's a different thing than uh, learning to talk or walk. Once the skill appears, they use it. But I just want to add that, Arthur, of course, you're both exactly right. And that, I think, is where we get this huge clash. And if if you think about it, it's one of the few things that you don't have to ask a child to walk. As you point out, a child is going to get up and pull to a stand and begin to walk. Whether they do it at nine months or 15 months is just, you know, part of their genetic makeup. But this is something that we ask of children that we have no control over. A parent really cannot pee or poop for their child. And, and you know, if you think about what are the three, to me, at least from when I talk to parents, what are the three things that parents struggle the most with? It's three things that the parent cannot do for the child. They can't sleep for the child. The child has to fall asleep on his or her own. They can't eat for the child. They can try to force a child to eat, but that's really under the child's control and should be. And they can't make them pee or poop. And that I think is where parents freak out. And unlike sleep or eating, which a parent can sort of, if the chi- if the parent feels like, oh my gosh, I, the child isn't sleeping well, the child isn't eating well, not everybody has to know about it. But in, when a child is pooping and peeing in their pants and they're three and a half or four and they're in school, it feels like the whole world seems to be like, what's the matter with you? You know, why aren't you parenting correctly here? So there's something about these issues. I think, Susan, you put your finger on it. It's the combination of feeling as a parent as though you are responsible. And in a certain way, you are responsible. It's a different conversation, but you are responsible for feeding your child. But you're not responsible for your children actually swallowing the food. And it's a combination of feeling responsible for something where the action itself is something completely unrelated to the parent. In other words, back to toilet training, I I loved how you put it, Susan, no matter how invested a, a parent is in feeling that they must train their child no parent yet has been found who can poop or pee for that child. It just can't be done. <laughs> and so that combination of feeling as though you're responsible and the feeling as though you're responsible, and in fact, you have no control over the situation, that's a recipe for frustration. So tell me, there's not a specific age when you should toilet train your child. What are we looking for? What do parents look for to know it's time to start? What I look for is a child that has enough language to be able to, to tell you when they have to go. And it doesn't have to be complete sentences, but it has to be a child that is using language in some way to communicate. It also has to be a child who has enough physical capacity that they're able to you know, pull down a loose pants, like let's say sweatpants. That's what I'm thinking of, something that they can pull down, that they have some, you know, that their motor control is fairly good. I think another thing to look about is, is this might sound silly, but is if a child is, starts to order their toys a bit, if you find that when they do clean up, that they understand that like the little cars go in this bucket and the Legos go over here, that a child is beginning to understand that everything has its place. And that could be as simple as that a child who likes to help you set the table because they know that you put a napkin and a fork down. Little kinds of signs like that are what I find are more applicable than can the child stay dry two or three hours at a time. Since you are a developmental specialist, I want to ask you this. So as a parent, we see these signs, we're like, okay, let's start this potty training process. But how does it feel to the child when their parents are training them? So if you ask a child, like, who should be cleaning up your pee and poop? What will they say? It's amazing that you uh, quoted that question because 
to me, it's the, it's the pivot point in the whole process. It's the, it's the fulcrum on which the whole lever uh, seesaws back and forth. And that is, does your child think that the poop and pee is the responsibility of the parent or of themselves? And that's summed up in that question. And I have to say, over many decades of practice, I've yet to come across a family that was struggling with this question. I mean, in every instance, I was able to turn to the child. And I would actually ask the child, say, Jimmy, uh, when you poop or pee, who should clean it up? You or mom and dad? And without exception, the child almost always says mom. And the only exception is when they say dad. <laughs> I've never heard them say, oh, me. No. And, and, and that, as, as Susan, you put it so uh, powerfully, uh, that is where things shift because before the child has toilet mastery, mom and dad are doing the work of taking care of it. And after toilet mastery, the child is. And I, I like to think of it also as a question of who's doing the work. You have no idea how that this is not about getting poop and pee in the potty. You may think that this is all just about having dry pants, but it's really about enhancing your child's self-esteem in the sense that says, this is your body. You are in charge of what goes in it. You are in charge of how it comes out of you. That is a huge step forward in feeling, wow, I'm really something. I can take care of myself. It's a small way to take care of oneself, but when you're two or three, it's exactly where they should be at. Some of my patients' parents tell me they are about to do a two-day or a three-day boot camp style training. You know, the weekend where there are no underpants. I don't usually get any follow-up on how these weekends go, but I'm always worried. Some kids can master the potty in a weekend, but in my experience, a lot of them can't. I asked my new friends how long this process is expected to take, and here is how Susan explained it. I'll say, do you remember learning to ride a bike? And I, I know I'm well beyond the, the bike riding era, but I remember my brothers teaching me and holding me, and I remember falling off and falling off and falling off until I got to that one time where I was able to ride for like 20 or 30 yards and felt unbelievably, like I had like conquered the world. And I'll say, that's how I'd like you to think about this. Your child is going to fall off the bike. He's going to pee in his pants. He's going to poop in his pants. But ultimately, he's going to be uh, successful. And at the end, he's going to feel nothing but competence and success and pride. Right. So if your brothers had said, okay, you get six tries and then we're done. We're not trying anymore. When we say that to our kids, we give them two days they don't potty train over their weekend, then the child feels like a failure, the parents feel like a failure, and nobody wins. All right. Absolutely correct. So how long should potty training take? I would say two to four weeks, and you're, and you're pretty much there. Two to four weeks. Not months and months and months. Two to four weeks if the parent is consistent in helping the child understand what their job is and how they have to take care of the, re of the consequences when they don't do their job, which is to use the potty. And, um, and we are very specific on the way that we support children. And that means, of course, no punishment. And we can talk about that later, but also in how we praise the child and help them to, be, to, to know that, that we're praising them, not because it makes us happy, but because that child feels so good and so competent about what he or she has accomplished. We always advise parents that when they start this process, they need to know they're handing over the keys of the, uh, of the job over their child. And they don't want to do it back and forth. So they shouldn't rush into, I find a lot of parents think, oh my gosh, 
uh, have to do this this weekend, or you know, there's some urgency. But I think it's more important that parents feel as though they have two to four weeks to devote to this, where they won't get frustrated to the point of putting the child back in diapers, let's say. Because what we're saying is, once you start this process, you put those training pants on and you're turning the responsibility of the poop and pee over the child. You don't want to two days later say, I can't take this anymore. We're going back to diapers. Such an important question you asked, Dr. Wendy. If you know that it's a could be take as long as two to four weeks, and it could, and it could be a lot less than that too. But if it can take that long and you're prepared for a two to four week process, then when it happens in three days or six days or eight days, uh, that's fine too. And, and, but it reduces the chance that you're going to give up in the middle. If you give up in the middle, then when you come back to it the second time, the child knows, I just have to wait my parents out and I'll get my diapers back. What you're explaining is the very reason that I think that talking about potty training is so important because it's one of the first exchanges back and forth between a child and the parent that predicts the whole entire future of your conversations with your child. So you hand them the training pants, you know, the the cotton pants, and you're saying, I trust you. We're going to do this together. And then when you stick through it for weeks, instead of taking it back, that's sending a message to your child. I trust you. We're going to do this together and I'm here for you. And we're going to keep working on this until we get it. And when you do that, when they are in fourth grade and they're struggling with their math, when you do it in 10th grade, when they're getting their driver's license, it's the same thing. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, Dr. Wendy, you could not have said that more perfectly. That is, a, This is all about building a trusting, secure, loving relationship with your child. When child development specialist Susan Glazer was running a preschool, the mother of one of her three-and-a-half-year-old students came to Susan with her head hanging low, and she said she had been lying. She told the school her son was potty trained, but he actually wasn't. The mom had been sending him to school with a pull-on diaper under his cotton underwear. Susan listened, and she coached this mother on how to help this kid start using the potty. Susan told me this story when I asked her if once a child does master the toilet, does it have effects on other parts of the child's life? And here's what she told me about this embarrassed mom's three-and-a-half-year-old son. He came into school on a Monday after he was in underpants, and the teacher said, okay, we're going outside. Everyone use the potty if you have to go. And he says, I have to go. And believe it or not, other children in the class said, you don't use the potty, you wear diapers. They actually knew that, despite the fact that the mother was so thought she was so careful and putting the pants around the pull-up. And he said, no, I don't. I have underpants now. And he went into the toilet and used it. And, and I have to tell you, everything about that child changed. He was no longer the baby of the class. He wasn't whiny. He was more cooperative and more engaged in the classroom activities than he had been. Because if on your mind, everyone else is going to the potty and you're still doing it in your pants, that takes up a big part of what you're thinking about in a day at school. And, and we've had many people over the years, in fact, we wrote a book together featuring uh, toilet mastery as one of the main uh, topics, uh, Who's the Boss? Moving Families from uh, Conflict to co- Collaboration. And one of the parents in, uh, in their testimony for the book said, we followed your uh, approach to toilet mastery. Uh, oh my gosh, the next day, went to a toddler bed and started riding a tricycle and 
it, 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 we, we see this over and over again that once a child has the experience of mastering a challenging skill, not one that comes naturally, but uh, something they have to work at, there's a special type of confidence when you master a skill that you have to work at. Now you're inspired. You're ready to tackle this. So what do you need? Obviously, you need a potty, and the best choices are anything where the child's feet can comfortably be supported and not be dangling. If you use a toilet insert, be sure you have a stool so their feet can push against something when they're sitting. You also need thick cotton training underwear and fun big boy or big girl underpants that the child will graduate to. And that can be a prize when they are finally successful. Elastic waist pants or shorts are also helpful during this time. And you might want to make a big deal of going to the store with your child to choose their training underwear and their new panties. What other advice do my potty mastery specialists have? The only thing I'll add is there's a special power to the training pant versus the diaper. You know, we, we tend to think, we, we, we see things like as very powerful symbols and there's probably no greater powerful symbol of being a baby than wearing a diaper. We adults don't like wearing diapers for that reason. Um, it's, it's very upsetting to even <laughs> so think that true. we end up back in them. Uh, <laughs> but it's because that's such a powerful emblem of being a baby. And I can tell you from many, many parents that, uh, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, Dr. Wendy, that when their child's walking around in training pants, it sort of takes her breath away. One of our granddaughters actually said to us, I asked uh, her, you know, what do the training pants do? And she replied when she was about two and a half, I'll be a kid. So even, even oh. the two-year-old knows that something big as a foot, I'll be a kid. So pull-on pants are really not recommended, the pull-on disposables, because it sends that message. It's basically the same as a diaper, right? And the other thing I wanted to ask you is, I see a lot of parents in the garage in um, my parking lot at my office with their potty chair in the back of the car. And I just feel like the child doesn't have the privacy to go to the bathroom. So how do you feel about carrying the little potty around with you everywhere you go? I, I'm not a big fan of, of kids sitting in a potty in a, in a parking lot and going. I think it makes much more sense when, if you're on a big road trip and you don't know when the next bathroom is. And plus, children can be incredibly fussy. But also they hate you. This is something that parents don't think about. They are many, many children are terrified of those automatic flushers. So what I would always suggest to parents is bring like an old diaper, like an old cloth diaper, like a burp cloth and throw it over that um, electric eye so that the, that, the, that the toilet doesn't flush. I can't tell you how many children I know that were doing pretty well. They, the flush came, got their t- little tushy wet and they, they were off potty training for the next two months because it so, so scared them. I know that's sort of like a silly little thing, but it is something for parents to think about when they're starting to go out with their child. This really is a significant issue. I had a seven-year-old patient that suddenly stopped using the potty and digging deeper, this is crazy. He was sitting on the toilet when his house was raided by the police. And he was so scared that he won't sit on the toilet now. That's a really extreme example, but it's a true story. Anyway, what are some of the typical problems that parents run into? Often parents will will quit the toilet mastery process on the very brink of success, right when the child is about to make the leap because it's really, it's after a few days of 
pooping and peeing in their pants, of the child saying, I'm scared, of a lot of weeping, that parents begin to get discouraged. And it's really at that point when the child's had all those mishaps, that's the point at which they've gained their skill. And it's usually moments after that, you know, it's just a few days after when people are most frustrated that the child's going to actually be a master of the toilet. And, but that's when we see most people actually give up in the middle. And I would say that's, that's one of the biggest problems. And I will tell you, it is sort of like a, a waterfall or, you know, like if you have all of these bumps, 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 and then suddenly they do go once, they go twice in a day, then the next day, three times, and then boom, you're done. How do you help kids along through the process? You don't want to punish a child when they don't get their pee and poop into the potty and you want to celebrate successes. So how do you approach reinforcing that you want your child to use the toilet? So what would be a logical consequence when your child has pooped or peed in his pants? And almost everyone comes up with it. They say, well, I guess they would have to clean it up themselves because that's a logical consequence. Then they go, but they can't do that. And guess what, Dr. Wendy? Not only can they, but when they do, then they really understand the whole process and it really does become their job. They really are, and I like to use this expression, the boss of their body. Toilet training is about far more than the function of their body or the child's will. Success comes when the parent lets go of the notion that success is pee and poop in the potty. Success is measured when the child sees that taking care of their pee and poop is their job and not the job of the parent anymore. This is a huge paradigm shift in a child going from being a baby to a kid. Here's how Dr. Lavin explains it. I really want to emphasize that the, the important word in toilet mastery is not toilet, it's mastery. So we, we tell parents that they're their highest uh, level of consciousness here, if you use a Zen concept of toilet mastery, but they're their highest level of awareness, let's put it plainly. If they see that it doesn't matter if their child uses the toilet, that's not the point of this whole adventure. The point is for them to take care of their poop and pee. So if they poop and pee in their pants and they clean it up, then all is good and, and they're making good progress. So that's a successful day. Now, typically during toilet training, during classic toilet training, parents would see if they poop or pee in the toilet as a good day, and if they poop or pee in their training pants as a bad day or a mishap. But no, 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 no. We're saying the training pants are on and the child's taking over the management of their poop and pee, then a poop in the pants or a pee in the pants is actually a step forward. It's a good day. Obviously, if they're peeing all over the furniture and pooping all over the apartment, uh, that's not a good day. If they're a little apprehensive about using the toilet and they need that step of pooping and peeing in their training pants and they take the dirty training pants to the bathroom and they dump the poop in the toilet and they clean themselves up and they get a new training pan on and parents can support them in that process if they're taking ownership of it, if the child's taking ownership of it, there's nothing but good things to come from the parents helping them with that, then that's a good day. That's not a failure. You know, when people learn a new skill and they struggle to master it, then when they slip and if they err and fix the error, that's, that's the only way you can gain a new skill. So not only is it a good thing, it's an essential thing. Once they believe that they're stuck with the poop and pee, that they're going to be the ones dealing with it, they use it for the same reason we do. It's a lot easier to use a toilet than to 
mess up your clothing and have to clean it up. And when parents can relax and and really just sort of take that in and take a step back and sometimes take two or three steps back and see that this is a process, my child is 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 moving through this process, and I just have to give that child time to get to the end of that tunnel, you know, where they're going to see, whoa, I can be clean and dry and do all kinds of other fun things. Potty training during the day is different than potty training at night. How is that different? What do you do? So... If you think about a fourth grade math student, almost even the greatest math wizard in the world doesn't do any math problems while they're sleeping. <laughs> that, that's because there's a different world when you're awake and asleep. You're not at work. You can't, you can't possibly be at work when you're asleep. And so uh, everything we've been talking about only has any reality during waking times. When you're asleep, there is no work of managing your poop and pee. If you're over, let's say, uh, the age of uh, two or three and, and peeing at night, that is, has nothing to do with using a toilet. That ha- has more to do with things like sleepwalking, sleep talking. These are phenomena of deep sleep that have nothing to do with what we're talking about. And so you can have a child completely in mastery of using the toilet during the day who uh, wets their bed every night. And, and, and might do so for another five years. Uh, nothing you do during the day will influence that at all. Just like you can't have someone stop talking all day and that will ensure that they won't talk when they fall asleep. Once you fall asleep, the software, if you will, the brain that manages what your body does while your sleep takes over, not, not your waking brain. And so nothing we're talking about has any relevance to, uh, to bedwetting or nighttime events like that. We also discussed that there are an infinite number of potty problems, and Dr. Lavin and Susan address many of those in episode 12 of their show, Parent Talk Podcast, which is part three of their Toilet Mastery series. And if you haven't heard my episode on potty problems, go back and listen to episode 25. It was my second most popular episode last year. See, there really are a lot of potty problems. The big takeaway today is that you can't poop for your child. And you'll find that as they grow older, there are lots and lots of things you can't do for your child. Helping your child learn to use the toilet is your first opportunity to practice stepping back a little and being your child's guide and their cheerleader. I promise that practicing your cheerleader skills when your kids are young will serve you very well in their middle school years and beyond when your kids really need you not to tell them what to do or to do things for them. They need you to support them as they try to do things for themselves. For more from the pediatrician next door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.